It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This Locked On Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box, and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Dolphins fans? And welcome to this Monday, August 23rd, 2021 edition of Locked On Dolphins. I'm your host, Kyle Krabs, Managing Editor of USA Today's Dolphins Wire, Director of Scouting, TheDraftNetwork.com, and back after a trip through the tape. I know yesterday on Sunday, we did the YouTube live stream, YouTube channel, Locked on Dolphins. We're new, doing a couple streams a week, but we went through some surface-level reactions to Saturday's preseason contest against the Atlanta Falcons, and in the time since, from Sunday afternoon until Monday morning, I've had a chance to go through the tape of the Dolphins' performance and made a bunch of notes. And that's kind of, this is more of the deep dive reaction going into tomorrow with Power to the Pod. And then we're going to put this Falcons game behind us after today's show. But I did not want to do the disservice of not going back, rewatching the actual tape, not just the television broadcast copy, but the tape of the game, all 22, and made a bunch of observations based off scheme, individual players, things that were done right, things that can probably be improved upon that are going to be a point of emphasis. So uh, this is kind of just, an, I don't want to call it an info dump per se, but I had a lot of observations on a lot of different players and wanted to make sure this connection existed where you guys got to hear my perspective on it all. Let's start first and foremost with, uh, I did share the one play on Locked On Fins on Twitter, and that was the would-be touchdown to Jalen Waddell that uh, we didn't get the pass protection that we needed from both Malcolm Brown and Jesse Davis. I know there were a bunch of people that chimed in. I said, man, we were a Malcolm Brown block in pass pro on the edge away from hitting a 26-yard touchdown to Jalen Waddell because he was wide Open. Jason Taylor said it on the broadcast, and I instantaneously earmarked that play and said, if I get the tape, that's the first play I want to go find. And I did. And uh, 
how you choose to assign the blame on that play. I don't think anybody's going to argue that Jesse Davis won his rep at right tackle. But from my perspective, it ends up you're emulating an inside zone or a wide zone step from your offensive line. So everybody steps left. The back preempts out of the play fake in the backfield because there's immediate pressure outside the nickel. So Malcolm Brownie does a nice job identifying that there's pressure coming off the right side. And he foregoes his fake and immediately steps up to maintain the integrity of the pocket. And he whiffs completely on the block. Uh, I thought his angle was probably a little too sharp. Uh, He got upfield a little bit too hard and then had to try and flatten late to press and then run that nickel defender past the peak of the pocket. Uh, Did not get his hands on. He ends up laying flat on his belly. And Tua steps up in the pocket and steps up into the muddied, murky mess that was exacerbated by Adekomo Ogundiji beating uh, beating Jesse Davis inside and Davis getting into reactionary mode. So for me, it was that outside pressure really flushed and forced Tua up into the mess. And if one of the two does not happen, he can still probably get the throw off, right? If Malcolm Brown hits his block, Tua can see that Ogundiji has flashed inside of Jesse Davis and slide to his right, throw the ball to the right, to the front pylon, and it's going to be a walk-in touchdown. Wadokota Moon walked his way in. If Jesse Davis maintains the integrity of the inside of the pocket and Malcolm Brown misses, Tua can simply step up into a less murky pocket, throw the ball over the top, same thing. Uh, but for me, because Malcolm Brown's guy technically touched Tua twice, first hit him on the back, Tua steps up. That defender is a defensive back. He's a little bit more athletic. Could continue to climb up into and get into the legs of Tua. He hit him twice before Ogundiji hit him once. So for me, it was that Brown one really hurt because if Brown set that with any level of firmness on the fringe of the pocket, Tua had had a ton of room to work. And, and find and execute that play. Austin Jackson. Was he better than he was against Chicago? Yes. I still feel like his hands are late. Uh, he's catching a lot of body blows. And Atlanta had a linebacker on a run film, which Austin was climbing to the second level. And he just caught a, a chest full of this guy's face mask and flat-backed him. Like, literally put, dumped him on his butt. And that was kind of the embodiment of some of the technical consistencies with Austin. He's catching blows. He's not delivering blows. And he needs to be better there. But it was a good reinforcement of, of what you think you see on, on Austin. Physically speaking, he's hitting his landmarks. He actually had a couple nice plays down there in the, in the red zone. The Malcolm Brown rushing touchdown that he had. I'll tell you what, he he and Solomon Kinley dug that out really, really well. And I do want to tip my cap to Malcolm Perry as well, who you know, had some opportunities that he probably wishes he could have had back. But he came in after Waddle got banged up, and he cracked some second-level defender down on that run inside the three-yard line. And I was really impressed by that effort from Malcolm Perry. Robert Hunt, uh, 
he's done a, a phenomenal job with the move inside. Uh, one thing I do think we need to watch is his stance. And what I mean by that, you see the back end angle of Robert and his weight distribution a little bit more narrow in his base. Uh, he's not as natural with his hinges. And it's because he's trying to set himself up to be able to freely get out of his stance and, and hinge and pull. So that was kind of just a, a very surface level observation of Robert that savvy defensive linemen, they'll pick up on that kind of stuff. They'll, they'll see how much weight you have on your hands. They'll see if your feet are a little bit more narrow in one instance or another. Something for Robert to continue to, to probably, you know, this is obviously a big transition for him to, to play inside. But that's probably a, a little thing they'd probably like to, to brush up a little bit and have him disguise his intentions in the pre-snap uh, when those opportunities come. We talked about Savan Ahmed, his growth as a receiver out of the backfield. He's had a couple nice plays in the passing game over the last two weeks. Uh, in pass protection, you know, we, we mentioned yesterday slash this morning, depending on when you listen to the Saturday stream that was put on the podcast feed, uh, the pro football focus pass protection grade, uh, they were even uglier than the grade would indicate. There was one, it was the drive in which they stalled out on fourth down at the 15. And Malcolm Perry couldn't hang on to the ball. There was a play in that series that immediately yielded once they got down inside the, the high red zone. That Tua let a ball rip to Adam Shaheen that was very rushed and actually almost intercepted. And the reason it was so rushed is because the Dolphins did a four-man slide and Ahmed was responsible for stepping up to the linebacker that had walked up late onto the line of scrimmage and had blitzed. And when that happened, Ahmed got almost zero of that linebacker and to his eyes started right, and they worked their way left, and he immediately saw the color flashing across his face because Ahmed got almost none of that linebacker, and he had to throw that ball very quickly to where he thought Shaheen was supposed to be. Well, Shaheen got collisioned at the top of the route, and it threw off the timing, and uh, I would have been interested if the ball would have been picked off, if they would have called illegal contact or anything, or DPI, because it was beyond five yards. Uh, but it was, it was a good spot throw from Tua, understanding I can't take a sack here, I need to get the ball out of my hands. But Shaheen wasn't able to get to his landmark because he was collision. But that's the big sticking point for Savant now, is how good can you get in this component of the game and how quickly? Because if you can get better there, there's going to be snaps there for the taking. And I still do think they're going to split carries amongst the group, but it's really hard to see them seeding the third down reps to anybody other than Miles Gaskin if they can't trust these guys in pass, bro. It's that time of year again, and all eyes are now turning to football. Teams are back on the gridiron to start football season. And as always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including the half-million-dollar NFL Mega Contest and the $200,000 NFL Survivor Contest open now at Bet Online. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today. Receive a 100% welcome bonus using promo code LOCKEDON. Be sure to take advantage of their opening day super promo. Make a bet on the Thursday, September 9th season opener between the Super Bowl champion Bucks and the Dallas Cowboys. And if you lose, your wager will be refunded up to $25 for new customers only when signing up using promo code NFL100. This offer is so good, you got multiple promo codes you can use. NFL100 
for the $25 rebate on your first wager on that September 9th game. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports action. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. This is David Harrison of the Locked On Commanders podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Discover. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Couple other offensive observations from this game. Uh, Jermaine Illuminor in the second half at left guard was dominant when he played. I think he really helped himself quite a bit. And Liam Eikenberg, I thought, played a really, really good football game. It was it was stuff like his vision, right? So he came into the game, and one of his early possessions throughout the course of the game he played in the fourth quarter was that 30-second drill there right before the end of the half. And the throw that Tua drilled to Mac Hollins that kick-started that opportunity to go out and kick a field goal. First of all, Miles Gaskin, it was a really great illustration of why he's the best pass-protecting back on the team. They were in the gun. Gaskin's lined up to Tua's left. And his eyes are right the entire time. And the Falcons bring a nickel blitz. And Miles scans across the entire set, identifies this blitz pressure opportunity, steps all the way across the pocket, and cracks this nickel defender. I mean, you you think about what Malcolm Brown's opportunity was in pass protection, what Savon Ahmed hit in a head-up square B-gap challenge with a linebacker, and neither one of them hardly even created an influence. Miles Gaskin cracked this dude, stopped him dead in his tracks. But it was also really good vision from Liam Eikenberg, who in his initial set is unchallenged and unoccupied, and he too sees the color flashing out of his peripherals. And he seamlessly, very smoothly, gets out into a position where he was well aligned and actually had two Dolphins, Gaskin and Eikenberg, meet this nickel defender on the edge of the pocket. 0% 0% chance he was going to influence the play. It was good patience from Eichenberg to not pale, bail panic and chase it. Now, he trusted his technique to get him there, and it did. But it was also really good peripheral vision to, to see it and understand there was an opportunity there to find work. Eichenberg, I thought, even into the second half, uh, Jacoby Brissett, on that scoring drive, there were a couple opportunities where Eichenberg really showed a good anchor. Like, he really sat down on some power rushes really, really well. I was really impressed. And uh, you knew Eichenberg was efficient in real time as the game was was unfolding. But to go back and re-watch it again, I had an even greater appreciation for just how well he played in almost 50 snaps in his NFL debut considering he did not play against Chicago. My final offensive observation is a schematics one, and we'll see how much it carries over into the NFL regular season. But if the Dolphins are going to run this style of offense that they attacked Atlanta with last night as far as the passing game, 
Never mind the RPOs and the quick hitters and the free access and take yards when they're available to you and so on and so forth. The backs are going to catch a shit ton of balls in this offense if this is indeed the identity that they're portraying and it's going to carry over and be one of their core staples and principles because there's a little bit more condensed sets from this Dolphins offense versus last year. Stacks, tightly bunched, tight end and a real reduced split from the wide receiver outside of him if they go two by two. And then what they'll do is they're going to either switch release or just vertically press both of those two outside receivers, and then the running back is running flats. And what that's doing is creating a lot of natural space because that linebacker, if you're going to play man, right, or even if you play zone and you're playing catch zone where you're not on the line of scrimmage in like a cloud corner situation, if you're just going to play six, eight yards off, and catch these guys in zone, or you're going to play man, that linebacker who's stacked in the B-gap is going to have to run with that line or with that running back out into the flat and cover him in the flat. But the Dolphins are taking big bodies, like Mac Hollins and one of the tight ends, and they're pushing these guys vertical from a reduced split, so they're very close to the offensive tackle. And it's creating this traffic jam that is manufacturing natural picks and allowing these running backs effectively to rub into the flat with free access. They get natural separation. And if that's what the Dolphins are going to continue to do, stock up for these backs in the passing game. And then, heaven forbid, if we do what Alabama did from time to time and put Waddle, motion him into a running back alignment or a Limbone Jr. and put him back there, and you get some wide receivers taking those reps and rubbing that way and getting free access, there's going to be really good opportunities to get the ball into the flat, manufacture a lot of green grass for guys to run into and turn upfield. And I'm excited to see how that develops for Miami as we get into the regular season. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. These things are top of the first round caliber as far as protein bars go. They're high in protein, high in fiber, low in calories, low in sugar. They've got 100% chocolate on all their bars. They're absolutely delicious. They taste like a candy bar. And best of all, it doesn't matter what you need Built Bar to be in your day, whether it's meal replacement, something to grab and go, post-workout, midnight snack, you name it, Built Bar and their 10 delicious flavors can be it. Right now, you can visit BuiltBar.com. Use promo code LOCK15 and save 15% off your next order. That's BuiltBar.com. Promo code LOCK15 to save 15% off your next order of Built Bar. RockAuto.com is a family business who's been providing auto parts customers with high-quality service online for the last 20 years. So whether you're shopping for engine control modules or brake parts, taillights, motor oil, or even new carpet for your classic or daily driver, RockAuto.com has everything you need in one easy-to-navigate catalog, and in just a few clicks, you can get everything delivered directly to your front door. Best of all, price the same at rockauto.com for both professionals and do-it-yourselfers, so why would you shop anywhere else and spend up to twice as much for the same parts? So visit rockauto.com for all your auto parts needs and write Locked On in their How to Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. Defensive observations from the Dolphins in this 37-17 victory. Uh, Sam McGuavin, guy really <laughs> crushed his opportunities 
but I do have an appreciation for how he got here, which is the Dolphins broke out a lot of their 5-0 pressure package, uh, which if you have not watched the YouTube series by Coach Vass, V-A-S-S, on YouTube, that breaks down the Belichick Flores 5-0 protection, which effectively just prompts opposing offensive linemen to go man-on-man because you're occupying every offensive lineman at the snap with a defender lined up directly over top of them or more. You know, you can flood the line of scrimmage with six or seven if you need to. But at the very least, if you're head up over the center, you got a guy over top of every offensive lineman, there's going to be a good opportunity for them to check to five-man protection and just go man-on-man. And that's where a lot of where Miami had success was a lot of these twists and stunts and two- and three-man games uh, came into play. Uh, a couple of the the stunts that I saw throughout the course of the game, uh, and this comes back to this Coach Vass YouTube series, if you want a better understanding of what these are, they ran truck, which is a stunt with your three interior players. They had two linebackers. Early in the game, it was Baker and Aguavin walked up head over top of the guards, and they had Adam Butler in the zero technique playing over top of the center. And two of these guys slant left, and the other loops right, right? Or they ran two-man games in the same kind of looks, and that's actually where Aguavin's sacks came from. They, they ran a cold stunt, which is the zero tech slants right, and... The three-tech loops behind him on a delay and comes back across, hoping the center is going to chase him and, and manufacture an opening in the far A-gap. The second one, and it was like the very next play, they put Aguavin on the other side of the line over top of the other guard, and they ran a me, which was the three-technique goes first and slants outside, and the guy who's lined up outside the tackle loops inside. Well, Aguavin was the three-technique in both instances. It was just on one of these, he looped second. The other one, he looped first and was able to reduce the angle on the me stunt to flatten and come up into Felipe Franks and collect the sack. So when we talk about scheming pressures open and scheming pressure, this is exactly what we're talking about with this defense. It's not always just bringing an extra body. There were times where Miami, they were prompting five-man protections and bringing four and they were dropping Van Ginkle and Iguavin out off the line of scrimmage at the snap in case they were going to throw hot. This is what they did to Jared Goff, right? But because you're, you're setting the protection rules based on your pre-snap look, if you overload one side by changing the picture after the snap, you can still get free runners, or you can have a numbers advantage and take advantage. Uh, so that was the big thing for me in the front seven and the pass rush. Because obviously Atlanta only passed, what, 15 times in the game? Like, they hardly passed the football at all. They rushed 31 times in the game. So you didn't get too many opportunities. Like Jalen Phillips, I would have loved to have seen. Jalen Phillips got five pass rush reps in the entire game. I will say this about Jalen Phillips. He slips off contact really, really well. There were a couple of instances in which he was left unblocked. And they tried to insert block him where they brought somebody across the set to kind of chip him out. He parlayed off a contact really well there and did not give up any real estate. I thought he, uh, in his instances in which he was backside, there was the one run down inside the five-yard line going in that they eventually stuffed him. I think it was the first down play 
they did a really nice, or Jalen did a really nice job of patiently keying, flattening, chasing down, making a play there. A lot of really great stuff in the front seven. Raekwon Davis was dominant, as always. Uh, they, they did a lot with uh, those bare fronts where they're occupying the, the interior three and then how they choose to disperse the rest from there. Uh, and that put Raekwon in one ones against Atlanta centers, and that didn't end well. It just It's not going to end well for a lot of centers across the league, period. I do think Christian Wilkins needs to anchor a little bit better. He got a lot of the double teams. Uh, he got a lot of two-man contact at the snap, but I did see his pad level come up a little bit. He was the one who was getting bubbled just a, t- a twitch, so... Things to work on for New England, especially for New England of all teams. Uh, Christian, just continue focus on that pad level down. I also say this for Aguavin. It's a good thing he did well as pass rusher because his reps in coverage uh, weren't great. He obviously had the DPI down inside the red zone uh, when he just never he, – he panicked a little bit, I think. He was on a back-on-back out situation on that play. So his end man on line of scrimmage and the back flared to run the wheel – and he automatically comes off his rush track and picks that player up, that running back up, and carries him down the field. Uh, so he was initially in a rush mentality and peeled off and carried that vertically, and he stayed over top the entire time, but uh, way too much contact, right? So that's understandable. But when they also got into some of these you know, trying to buzz and take away hot throws out of the, the pressure looks, and they buzzed him and Van Ginkle off at the snap, there was the one Felipe Franks play. It was the fourth down play. McKinney was awesome with his blitz on this play. Like he he walked this running back directly back, literally into Franks' lap. I love seeing that amount of power from McKinney on that play. But Aguavin appeared to carry the underneath. They, they ran some level of slant. There was nobody else outside to the right side of the field. So when Franks looped and doubled back and scrambled, there was a ton of space, and it ended up being like a 20-something yard run, right? It was the one where he tiptoed out of bounds, and Jason Taylor was giving him grief uh, on the broadcast for, it's first of all, it's a preseason game. Second of all, it's a quarterback. Next time, you're going to get blown up. Don't do that. That's silly. Um, where if Aguavin would have held his real estate a little bit more or not lost eyes on the quarterback as somebody who's effectively serving as a, a rat or a spy, in the shallow, he could have perhaps held contain on that rush and and tackled Franks before he scrambled and got the first down. So instances like that, like little things that you could probably just work to brush up and be like, hey, this was really great. You hit your landmark. We get you carried the route. But next time, you know, keep your eyes, you know, make sure you're aware because we're playing man behind you, right? We don't need you to transition and play man when you are trying to uh, to rob or undercut a, sh- a quick throw. I'm excited. I thought they showed, and Travis Wingfield asked Brian Flores this uh, on Sunday. It was a great question, and it was something that I had seen, I was asked a little bit uh, pertaining to what Miami showed in the preseason game. And Travis asked, this preseason you guys have been able to get a lot of work for some guys who I think will play a lot of ball this season. I was just curious how you balance getting enough tape for you and your staff to evaluate versus putting too much out there for regular season opponents. 
And this was Brian Flores' answer. I think we try and practice things that we'll end up using and working throughout the season. That's a variety of things, but they're mostly based on those fundamentals and techniques at guys' different positions, schemes, and core concepts. That's the key phrase, core concepts, that will run offensively, defensively, and in the kicking game. And then I think throughout the course of the season, what you end up doing is running those core concepts, and they just look a little different. You just dress them up a little differently. So that's what you're going to see in the preseason. Core concepts, really, for every team. We're no different, and I think how you dress those things up throughout the season, I think every team does that in some way, whether it's shifts or motions or whatever they feel is best for them, and we'll do the same. That's why I'm not worried that like everybody knows that the Dolphins are going to run... 5-0 rush packages. They did it when Flores was in New England when they won the Super Bowl. They did it in 2019. They did it in 2020. And you're seeing plenty of overlap. So if any team wants to see their 5-0 look from last year, just go back and watch the Rams game when they tore Jared Goff a new one with it. Like, it's not really going to catch you off guard. I think offensively, there's a maybe a little bit of a different argument to make. And that's why, you know, even though I'm excited by what they showed and they opened the offense up a little bit with the RPOs and the play-action shot play and so on and so forth, like, it's there's so much more that you can do offensively, I feel like, versus if we're going to play press man, 5-0 pressure look with a single high free safety, like, that, you just... A lot of times, you can really only just try and move guys around before the snap, before they get into their actual rush alignment uh, to create miscommunications. Am I worried that they show too much? No. Especially with a divisional opponent. These these guys know each other inside and out. It's going to come down to execution, fundamentals, and who gets those five or six key plays throughout the course of a game to break in their favor or the majority of them to break in their favor. So we got plenty of time between now and new England to add new stuff, install new stuff. And we also have a preseason game against Cincinnati, but not before power to the pod tomorrow. So make sure you submit your questions, your hot takes, your feedback, you name it locked on fins. Keep it locked in right here on locked on dolphins. Thanks as always for listening. Hope you guys enjoy the rest of your Monday. I'll talk with you again soon. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.